Hello, everybody. I'm Aaron Martell. And I'm Mike Cordes. And welcome to Albumatics, a podcast where we discuss and analyze a musical album of our choice. This episode, we're joined by returning guest co-pilot Curtis Lonclow. Curtis, welcome back to the podcast. Well, great to be back, Aaron. Uh, thanks so much for having me, and hopefully this won't be my penultimate co-piloting job with you. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly hope not, too. <laughs> Uh, I, I honestly think that uh, you have one of the best music podcasts that I've heard on the on the internet. Uh, it's very concise, very informative, and also very entertaining. There's always good chemistry between all those involved, and uh, I'm just happy you asked me to be a part of it. I really enjoyed doing the uh, episode about the Signals LP by Rush, and uh, allow me to say, uh, rest in peace, Neil Peart. Yes. Yeah. Who passed away not long after we did that episode. So, yeah, that's really weird. Totally didn't see that coming. No. Yeah, I don't think anybody did. So, in this episode, we're going to talk about Sammy Hagar's 1984 album, VOA. Curtis, how did you discover Sammy Hagar in this particular album? Well, around 1982, uh, one day I was listening to my favorite radio station here in the Atlanta area, uh, the now defunct WKLS 96 Rock, and uh, the theme song for the movie Heavy Metal started playing, and I really liked the song, and I, I, I didn't know who the artist was, and when the song ended, the DJ uh, indicated that it was Sammy Hagar, and I'd never heard of him before that, and then... You know, I I didn't start digging into his catalog or anything. I just kind of started plugging along through high school like everybody else does. And then I started seeing his name pop up on soundtrack LPs like uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Footloose. Yeah, he did quite a few of those, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And then a few years later, he did Over the Top, too, with Sylvester Stallone. That's right. I forgot about that one. Arm wrestling <laughs> movie, right? <laughs> yeah, winner takes it all. But... Um, I liked his songs, but he really didn't get on my radar until the summer of 84. Uh, I had just graduated from high school, and I was dating this girl named Lisa Rogers who lived way out in the country. I mean, she lived in another county. She didn't go to my high school. And uh, one afternoon, we were sitting in her living room, and we were watching cable TV, which I didn't have at my house, which is odd because she lived in the country, and she had it. Uh, but uh, the video, we were watching MTV, and the video for I Can't Drive 55 came on, and this was the first time I actually saw Sammy on you know, on screen. And uh, I loved the video and loved the song, and uh, he, he, he wasn't all at, at all what I expected, you know, kind of a tongue-in-cheek kind of guy, you know. And so I went out and bought the VOA album on cassette and listened to it over and over again, and uh, Sammy actually ended up coming to town on November 16th of that year in 1984. With uh, and Crocus was the opening act. Wow. Oh, that's and uh, by, by this time, my girlfriend Lisa and I had broken up. So my best friend Richard Cox and I went to see this show together. And I, I love the show. I love Sammy's energy. He's just such a professional uh, and such an entertainer and uh, just really enjoyed it. And, of course, the next year, Sammy ended up replacing David Lee Roth as the the lead singer for Van Halen. And I saw, quote, Van Hagar in concert a couple of times. Of course, 10 years or so goes by, Sammy leaves Van Halen and comes back for a reunion in 2004, then leaves again and continues to release 
you know, new music all the way along and started the super group chicken foot, which I really like. And, um, I don't know. He's just, ever since then, it's, I've never forgotten that VOA concert, uh, that, that particular show. It, it just kind of was a turning point for me as far as, you know, seeing somebody just really doing a, you know, a really bang up job with a, with a show. And, uh, I just, just really, really enjoyed it. All right. Rock and Mike, how about you? Uh, I come in with, I can't drive 55. That's, you know, the album came out, I was 10 years old. Um, so this is really the first time Hagar was on my radar and I knew two songs, like I'll say two and a half, cause there was a third song off this album that I, uh, I kind of knew not that well, but I, when Aaron Ray and I talk, I'm always the, the, the pro van Hagar guy. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I honestly never listened to this album all the way through until getting ready for this episode. So, uh, I'll save the rest of my opinions for the songs. All right. <laughs> Now, I can't honestly remember exactly when I first heard of Sammy Hagar, because I knew who he was before this album came out. I knew he was the Red Rocker before he joined Van Halen, and I didn't know about Montrose yet, so I'm guessing it was Three Lock Box, and Your Love is Driving Me Crazy. I oh. like those songs. Yep. Um, I never owned VOA until prepping for this podcast, but of course I saw the video for I Can't Drive 55, and I remember borrowing the cassette of this from someone because I heard that he joined Van Halen, and I wanted to hear what he was doing right before that, so I was familiar with this album and these tracks. Now I'll lay down some basic facts about this record, and shh, these come from Wikipedia. <laughs> VOA is the eighth studio album by American rock musician Sammy Hagar, released on July 23rd, 1984 on Geffen Records. It was produced by Ted Templeman and was recorded in the spring and summer 1984 at Sunset Sound Studios, Los Angeles, California, and at Fantasy Studios, Berkeley, California. It reached number 32 on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and is certified platinum by the RIAA. And here's the band's lineup card. We have Sammy Hagar on lead vocals and lead guitar, Gary Peel on rhythm guitar and backing vocals, Jesse Harms on keyboards and backing vocals. Bill Church on bass guitar and backing vocals. David Lauser on drums and backing vocals. And Ted Champagne Templeman on percussion. Okay, let's get into a track-by-track -track analysis of this album. The opening track is I Can't Drive 55, written by Sammy Hagar. Curtis, what do you think? Well, as I mentioned, the music video for this song is really what sold me on Sammy. The story behind the song, as I understand it, is pretty cool. Uh, Sammy was on his way back from a vacation in Africa, and he had been traveling for 24 hours straight. And when he got back to the States, he rented this car to get back to his place in Lake, Lake Placid, I believe. And the car wouldn't go much faster than 55 miles an hour. And at two in the morning, he gets pulled over 
by this cop, and he proceeds to give him a ticket for doing 62 miles an hour. <laughs> and th- this was on a four-lane road with no one else in sight, and the cop's writing the ticket, and Sammy's like, dude, I was only doing 62. And the cop said, well, we give tickets to people around here for doing uh, over 60. And Sammy, Sammy's reply was, what, but yeah, but I can't drive 55. <laughs> and after he said that, a light bulb went off in his head, and he immediately grabbed a pen and paper to write that phrase down as the cop was writing the ticket. And then when he got to Lake Placid, he wrote the rest of the, the song. He wrote the lyrics and the music. And uh, the, the song is somewhat, I guess, autobiographical, although Sammy never, I don't think Sammy went to before a judge and ended up going to jail like the, <laughs> like the right. character in the song did. But this song, uh, as I understand it, went, for, went to number 26 on the Billboard 100. I love David Lauser's uh pounding intro on the drums and uh, there's a great guitar riff but there's really not that much of a guitar solo it's very short keyboards can be heard throughout the song but they're not as prevalent as they are on other songs on this record i'm not real crazy about the slow fade at the end but overall i dig the song and uh of course when sammy joined van halen they performed this song live uh with him and uh, I believe they, they performed it on every tour that they did with Sammy. And uh, they, you know, essentially Van Halenized it, which made it even better with, with Eddie's licks in there. So, uh, great song. All right. Rock and Mike. Uh, yeah. You know, it's funny. You talk about that story. You know, when he says, uh, write me up for doing 125, it wouldn't have the same ring, ring if he said, write me up for doing 62. Write <laughs> 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 me up one sixty two. 62. But, no, I mean, who doesn't know this song? And I think everybody who got their driver's license from like 84 to 94 probably got a ticket <laughs> thanks to this song and the video. And it was just cool. You see him grabbing the judge. And I believe the judge in the video is John Kalodner. Yes. Is it? Okay. Yes. So John Kalodner, who shows up in like everybody's videos. Yeah. Um, and he was like the A&R rep for Geffen Records, yeah, right? Geffen, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. he, he showed up a lot in Aerosmith videos too. Yes. Yeah. So um, same thing. Um, simple riff with some chugging rhythm. Um, the bass line chugs along with the melody. It sounds cool. I wish he would kind of open up a little bit. I never really noticed there were keyboards on the on this particular song until listening to it through headphones as I was prepping for this. They play right along with the riff, and then during the chorus, you hear a little like, do-do-do, which is a little odd. And I agree with you on the solo. I put it's a baby solo. It's not really <laughs> a full-fledged uh, solo. And then I kind of was laughing because I, I don't really think kids today would remember a 55-mile-an-hour speed limit. Mm. You know, it came to and past in our lifetimes. And my kids that all drive now, they would have no idea. Right. So, But it's a good start to the album. Famously, there's a picture of Sammy that's out there on the Internet of him with a uh, construction helmet on. And he's, he's like on this ladder. Uh, and he's at a, a speed limit sign. He's he's right in front of a speed limit sign, and he's pulling the f- five off of the sign, <laughs> and he's replacing it with a six. <laughs> I saw that photo. I saw that in prepping for this, yeah. I never saw that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, this is a good rocker with a solid riff. The guitar's up front on this one with some keyboards that are mostly in the background, like we were saying, but it kind of plays a nice second melodic line in the chorus. The bass is buried low in the mix, and the drums are solid and serviceable. The chorus is super catchy with gang vocals that'll grab you, and Sammy's a very capable hard rock vocalist. His voice can hit some really high notes, yet it's got a little grit to it. He can toughen it up when he wants to. The lyrics describe Sammy's frustration with a national maximum speed law that existed at the time and was 55 miles per hour, like you said, Mike, younger 
people aren't going to remember that, but no. I sure shit do. Remember, 55 saves lives. Oh, it sucked. <laughs> Sammy has a hard time driving long distances at that speed and ends up in trouble with the law. And Curtis very eloquently told the story of how this song came to be. The video for this song was funny and popular, and I've always dug this track. It mm-hmm. definitely appealed to the rebellious teenager in me that wanted to shout, fuck authority. And the song is one of, if not the, best-known Sammy Hagar solo songs. And it was the obvious lead-off single, which reached number 26 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. The next track is Swept Away, written by Sammy Hagar. Curtis, your thoughts? Well, um, of course, I Can't Drive 55 was the first single and on the album. And this, I believe, was the fourth single. And it didn't do that well. Uh, I like it, though. Uh, it's a simple song about really about the first time you fall in love with a girl. I mean, not really anything all that deep about it as far as the lyrics go. Uh, great opening guitar riff by Sammy. That's the thing about Sammy. Sammy, is he's an excellent guitar player. And Underrated. It, yeah. yeah, and it seems yeah. like in recent years, he's just been all about, well, I'm a singer, you know, I'll let somebody else play the guitar. And I just think that a lot of people that have gotten into Sammy, you know, in the later part of his career, don't really realize how much of a great guitar player he is. Right. I love the backing vocals uh, on this song and the the switch from the ballady. Is that a word? Um, if it's, if it it's, is if now. Not, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm making it a word. <laughs> the switch from the ballady sections to the hard rock sections is is really nice. The keyboards are a lot more prevalent. Uh, in fact, <laughs> this song has a keyboard solo on it in lieu of a guitar solo, which I don't really get at all. And it, it the, the keyboard tone is is different than anything I've ever heard before. It almost sounds like they're trying to emulate a horn section or something. I, I, I really don't understand why they put that in there. Uh, I think a guitar solo would have been better. H- however, I love the guitar riff that comes off of the keyboard solo into the third verse. It's really hard, really driving. But then it gets sidetracked again by, by another strange keyboard riff with the slow fade at the end. And uh, again, I, I just don't get that. But it's still a great song. And uh, if when it comes on, I won't skip over it. Sammy played this on at that VOA show that I saw in November of 84. And hearing it live made me appreciate it even more. Yeah, maybe Sometimes that happens. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mike, what do you think? Uh, I have a love-hate relationship with this song. Sammy definitely loves open chords. It seems to be really prevalent on this album a lot. Now, the ballady part that you were talking about, Curtis, I loved, I put a harmonized verse. It's got the sparse picked notes, and then you got some cymbal work with the click percussion. That kind of starts 19 seconds in and then ends at about a minute seven. And in that roughly 50 seconds, you have Tool's whole discography. Because <laughs> that, to me, that is Tool. That whole part... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> All I could hear was Tool. I'm just waiting for Maynard to break in. I'm like, Louis, the, I, I, the first time I heard it, I'm going, 
holy crap, this is Tool. <laughs> and it, it, it just with, you know, darker production. But it's so I can't get Tool out of my mind when I hear that that part right there. And then the song opens up and it's okay. Like It's again, I sing along. Sammy's got a great voice and a keyboard solo. Really? You have two guitar players in the band and you're going to give the keyboard player a damn solo? I found that disappointing. And that's the hate part of the song. So that that's all I got. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, this is a tale of two tunes for me. I dig the choruses that rock hard and the guitar dominates the sonics, but I do not dig the verses and the bridge in which the keyboards and effects take over a bit. The drums are reduced to wood blocks and cymbal washes, and the vocals are softened with massive amounts of reverb and deliver this dreamy melody that just gets on my nerves. The two sections sound like two entirely different songs, and they don't fit together well at all, and they don't transition well at all to my ears. Mm-hmm. The lyrics tie in with Sammy's fascination with beach scenery and culture, with a woman he's infatuated with and is making time with. The actual words themselves are fairly well written, but the musical clash distracts me too much. There is no way this should be the second track on this record, in my opinion. And to me, this is where Sammy kind of begins his transition from the jumpsuit-wearing red rocker to the beach bum persona he still maintains to this day, and I don't like it, not one bit. And I don't like this track, not one bit. It's the tool part. It's the yeah. And it, <laughs> now you, and you bring up tool. Holy shit, tool! No wonder I don't like it. <laughs> the following track is "Rock Is in My Blood," written by Sammy Hagar. Curtis, let's have it. All right. Uh, great mid-tempo rock song. Uh, it's a nice trade-off on the verses between a single power chord on Sammy's guitar and three notes on the keyboards. Sammy actually, I think, shines as a guitar player on this one with the the very nice guitar solo. Unlike the one in uh, I Can't Drive 55, it lasts more than 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> There's no fade-out at the end, which is normally a plus on a driving rock tune like this. It ends very abruptly and has more of a live feel to it. Uh, this one wasn't a single, but but I do love the song. The lyrics describe those of us who really love rock music and aren't about to give it up. Speaking of the lyrics, I love the the part where he says, uh, when my heart beats, it's two and four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that it's line. It's getting hard to leave. I keep wanting more. I mean, obviously, I mean, this is, he's saying, you know, this isn't Rush. This isn't, yes. I mean, this is simple <laughs> rock and roll. This is like ACDC, two and four, you know. Absolutely. So, great song. Rock and Mike. Uh, opens again, more op- of open chords. Uh, cool little bass line. Uh, again, nothing fancy. But those damn keys come back. It, it, they just come back again. The, it is a great chorus. And I, I like the song. I like the song a lot. But these keys need to be pushed down further in the mix. They're just they're too high. Again, the, uh, Curtis, I agree with the solo. It's weird. It's kind of a two-stage solo, really. It comes in and it's kind of alternating, like ascending and descending lines, and then it changes gears and then it slows down and goes melodic with those keys underneath. 
I, I do really do like the song, but if you read the lyrics before listening, you'd be surprised that this is a mid-tempo song. Be, you know, that whole rock is in my blood. You're, you're expecting more of a driving song if you read those lyrics first. So rock may be in his blood, but it's not in this song. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of with you on this one, Mike. We get another rocker, but man, that keyboard just won't go away. It dilutes the guitar to my ears, and it sounds like Bad Imitation Journey. Bill Church on bass gets a chance to be heard, and he makes the most of it. He's laying down a good bass line. It's another big chorus, though it's not quite as catchy as I Can't Drive 55, and Sammy's vocals in the verses are a little whiny as he draws them out. The lyrics spell it out. He tells the woman not to make him choose between rock and her, because rock's in his blood and it's pumping, pumping, pumping. He's going to give her a blood transfusion so she can see what he means. This is one of a couple of tracks on the album that, for me, have a lot of potential. There's good stuff here, but it just doesn't gel together properly. It tries to, but doesn't quite reach that commercial 80s pop rock perfection it's going for, in my opinion. The next track is Two Sides of Love, written by Sammy Hagar. Curtis, what do you say? Um, well, this was the second single from the record, and uh, I always looked at this as being Sammy's non-soundtrack soundtrack song because it sounds like it should be on the soundtrack. It sure does. That's a great way to put yes. it. Yes. And uh, yeah, Two Sides of Love would have been the perfect title for a movie with this as the theme song. Nice pop rock song. It's, it's not really a, a hard rock song. It's more pop rock. A uh, nice, nice poppy guitar riff and a not-so-hard-hitting-yet-catchy guitar solo. Slow fade at the end, but it works because it's sort of a ballad. Not not really, but sort of. I was listening to uh, – you guys are familiar with uh, the Grown Up Rock podcast, right? Oh, with yes. Sonny, yep. Yep. Sonny, Sonny Hollywood Pooney and um, Stephen Michael. Great podcast. Well, Sonny, uh, Sonny Pooney was talking about – the VOA record. And he said it was one of his desert Island records. And he had this to say about this particular song. I just basically transcribed what he, what he said. So I'll just read it here. Quote. Now this song is incredible and I like the topic and what the song's all about is it's easy to fall in love. And then it's hard to stay in love. And then there's a time that it might end. So what he's talking about is the two sides of love, the beginning and the end, and everything that happens in between is not as easy as the two ends, which is an interesting take on a song, unquote. Now, Howard Stern (laughs) famously described Sammy as the guy who put love into Van Halen, Mm. because before that with Roth, it it was, Roth ain't talking about love, you know? Right, right, (laughs) right. So this song was definitely a precursor to Van Hagar songs like Love Walks In and When It's Love. But really, it's a little less idealistic than those songs, as evidenced by the chorus, which says, Why does she cry herself to sleep at night? Why do I have to work so hard to make things right? To fall in love came naturally. To make it last is so hard, you see. I'm caught in between the two sides of love. 
And I just, you know, I just think that that's some really good songwriting by Sammy. And, uh, and you know, as Greg Ken said in the breakup song, they don't write like that anymore. And Sammy definitely doesn't write like that anymore. It's it's very good pop rock tune, and uh, I, I can see why it became a single. Yeah, rock and Mike. So I I agree. I mean, you, the lyrics like this can only be written by I would say someone over the age of thirty, someone who's who's been in a serious relationship. Um, and it, the song it's catchy, it's melodic, and I put it's bar band journey. That's kind of where I threw it in. And at this point. I'm having a hard time with this album because I love Sammy's voice. The songs are catchy. They're melodic. I sing along with them. Those keys make it sound so dated. There is a stamp. It stamps mid-80s right on the, on, on this whole record. It's definite single material. You can hear it all over it. I even like the melodic lead. But musically, I'm kind of, nah. It's, it's okay. All right. I'm going to repeat kind of a lot of what both of you said. Sammy's good at crafting these mid-tempo, not-quite ballads. You know, like, uh, I'll Fall in Love Again, Mm -hmm. Your Love is Driving Me Crazy. And like Curtis said, damn, this guy's all about the word love. He did it in Van Halen, too. It's a strong melody, especially with a guitar mini hook and a good balance between the guitar and the keyboards. The keyboards enhance instead of dominate. They don't bother me on this one so much. To me, this is kind of pop rock perfection for the 80s, unlike the previous track. I'd put this up against your Bon Jovi's or your Journey's any day. The chorus is a big-time earworm, and I dig the rhythmic change in the breakdown section where Sammy plays a short, unremarkable guitar solo. The lyrics are not particularly brilliant, but they're solid and get the message across. Sammy finds himself struggling between the two sides of love, the fun and ease of falling in love, and the hard work it takes to maintain and make that love last. It's a very common issue with a lot of relationships and makes the song relatable. This is actually my favorite track on the record, believe it or not. And it was the second single that reached number 38 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on Dick in the Dirt, written by Sammy Hagar. Curtis, you like this one? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> you know, we go from Sammy singing a, this really deep song about how hard love can be to this song wherein he talks about his junk. <laughs> 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 and, and Sammy's not the first one to do this. In his defense, Paul Stanley and Kiss did this with Love Gun <laughs> seven years prior to this. Oh, yeah. Um, this... Uh, <laughs> I don't know how else to describe this. This this was a precursor to, to something which really frustrated me about Sammy when he, particularly when he joined Van Halen. You know, I mentioned earlier about Howard Stern and how he was praising Sammy for putting the love in Van Halen. Well, whenever whenever Sammy shifts gears and tries to be like Roth, he can't and do it. Do things like sing about his dick. It really doesn't <laughs> yep. work. For yep, me. it comes off really really cheesy. But that being said. I do like the arrangement on this song. It's an, it's another mid-tempo driving rock tune. 
Uh, I love the dirty tone on Sammy's guitar for the solo. Obviously, with the lyrics, he's playing off of the movie uh, Fun with Dick and Jane, since there's a girl named Jane in the song, (laughs) which I didn't actually notice until recently when I was reading the lyrics. I mentioned that my best friend who accompanied to the VOA tour show in 84 is a guy named Richard Cox. And we always used to joke about that song being about him <laughs> since it, since it begins with, That's I got the best name ever. <laughs> I know this guy named Richard. He's my redneck friend, you know? So, <laughs> so, you know, we always talked about his, his dick being in the dirt, but anyway, I mean, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, good times. I mean, a lot of good memories surrounding this song, but, not my favorite song on the record. <laughs> Mike, is this your favorite song on the record? Uh, no, it is not. Um, <laughs> it did remind me, a little, I don't know if you remember the, you ever remember the, if you've ever heard the Dead Milkmen song, Not Richard But Dick? Oh, yes. <laughs> so, it made me think of that. You know, it's like, <laughs> um, the, uh, I actually don't mind the riff, and we finally get a break from heavy keys. But the lyrics, man, like, ah, like, I do like the solo. It's probably my favorite solo on the album. But the whole time, I'm just like, he's a dick in the dirt. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's all I can think of. (laughs) Whoa, that is cool. He said dick. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, Sammy was ahead of his time. He he did Beavis and Butt Head, you know. Six years early. <laughs> Sammy Hagar, ahead of his time. Ahead of his time. Yes. And he was, what, in his 30s then? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Sammy Hagar may be a lot of things, but a story songwriter he is not. This is supposed to be a plodding thud rocker, but the guitars have no teeth. And the keyboards even skirt around the guitars with this weird boingy noise. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants any part of this song. <laughs> well, except Sammy who plays some underwhelming lead guitar and tells the story of Dick, who seems to be a sort of sexual masochist and likes to let women tie him up and knock him around. Now, Sammy is not, and never has been really, a gifted lyricist, but sometimes he writes some of the stupidest shit ever penned. I'm sure he <laughs> thought this was hilarious, and I'm sure some other people do too, but holy shitballs, Batman, does this fucking suck for me. <laughs> Without question, this is Aaron's Stinky Stinker. The following track is the title track, VOA, written by Sammy Hagar. Curtis, hit us. Well, this was 1984. Uh, Ronald Reagan was president, and this song was jingoism at its finest. Mm -hmm. Uh, Third single from the album. Mike, as you were saying earlier, you were talking about uh, a lot of this album being dated. Uh, This this song is definitely a bit dated because of the mention, because Sammy mentions the USSR. Yep, yep. the music video for this song, which I didn't see till a few years later, uh, until after the album came out, is is kind of funny, but it's really cheesy. It's kind of a spoof of James Bond, I guess. Uh, 
and it might be considered politically incorrect these days. Yeah. But um, I've never seen it. I haven't either. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 on YouTube. Just look it up. You can see it. But uh, I mean, it's just really cheesy. They they call Sammy in, and he's like, "Oh, we need to call in Double O Rock." You know, oh, I mean, geez. it was just. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it might have been politically incorrect, but a lot of it was was tongue in cheek. You know, and um, I, I love the fast tempo of the song. It's there's a good trade off between the guitar riff and the identical keyboard riff in between the lyrics on the verses. Uh, nice bass riff by Bill Church just before the guitar solo, which is also very good. And then that driving sort of anthemic guitar riff comes in before going into the chorus one last time. Nice abrupt ending to the song. No, no fade out. Like I said, a little cheesy, but I, I don't hate it. All right. Mike? Finally, an up-tempo rocker with a good riff. Um, I, I like the way it starts. And I like the gang vocals in the chorus. It does remind me a little bit of One Way to Rock. I could kind of hear that a little bit in there. And like you said, Curtis, you get that solo bass thumping, which gets you excited. And then you get some like Judas Priest turbo effects on the on like a, on that solo, like a slow solo that builds back to the riff. But again, why ruin this by having the keys trade off with the guitar? It's a decent riff. Why fuck it up? Um, which is my mantra for this album. You have two guitar players. You can go back and forth, you know, and it, listen to th- this, which will just that trade off, which will piss you off. And then listen to the solo in Tesla's coming at you live where the two of them are trading off. You had the perfect moment in the palm of your hand to just like bash you over the head and go back and forth. And it was a missed opportunity as much as I like the song. Yeah, this is another track that has promise, but it sounds kind of neutered to me. The guitars need to be beefed up in the mix, and the keyboard melody that runs throughout the track is completely unnecessary to my ears. By the end of the song, it full-on annoys me. The rhythm section gets to stretch out a little here, and that's a good thing. Drummer David Lauser plays a couple of decent fills, and Bill Church's bass can be heard better, which, come on, the guy could play. He was the original bassist in Montrose with Sammy for fuck's sake. And on this mm. album, he's buried way down in the mix too often. Yep. I really dig the pre-choruses in this, though. We don't like it. Yep. We won't take it. I dig that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the breakdown has some guitar mini lines that Thin Lizzy would laugh their balls off at. But they're cool. <laughs> And it also contains the best guitar solo on the record, in my opinion, which admittedly isn't saying much. (laughs) Lyrically, we're in dumb territory again. VOA stands for Voice of America, a network agency started in 1942 that broadcasts accurate, balanced, and comprehensive news and information to an international audience through radio, television, and digital outlets. So Sammy takes that and tells the Middle East and the USSR, watch out, we're going to rock your asses off so hard that you won't want to start a war with us. Sammy Hagar, 1984 recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. (laughs) Supposedly, the song and album was going to be called Voice of America, but Little Steven came out with an album titled that right before this record came out, so they went with VOA. Wow. This is another track where there's a lot about it I like and some wasted potential, too. The penultimate track is Don't Make Me Wait, written by Sammy Hagar and Jesse Harms.
Curtis, how about the penultimate one? Well, oddly enough, this is where it all begins to fall apart on this record for me. Um, this is a, a, an attempt at a ballad, but I don't really care for it all that much. It's very keyboard heavy, and the guitar riff really doesn't reach out and grab me. It, it really consists of a long sustain on one note for much of it, and it just seems a little lazy to me. Uh, of course, what do I know? I probably, I couldn't do any better, but... The guitar solo is largely forgettable because it's just a mild flourish of the main guitar riff with that long sustain. Uh, the guy in the song apparently realizes something is wrong with his relationship with his girlfriend, and she's holding something back from him. So he presses her, and she finally says, are we ever going to get married? And then he's like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have asked. <laughs> so not my least favorite song, but I, I just don't care for it. It's it's just okay for me. All right. Mike? All right, mid-tempo, co-written by Satan himself, the keyboard player. <laughs> I was looking through the writing, I was like, damn, they're going to let this guy write a song too? He's already screwed <laughs> up the previous six tracks. <laughs> like, what the hell? So I like the bass line again, with the, exce- the, thing, the thing that annoyed me in the song, ding, 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 uh. ding, ding. I was like, what? And I just want to assume it's a keyboard player, because at this point, it's, you know, for, it's like Elton, don't you know? I'm going to shoot you because you're the piano player. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, all, the only thing I can think of, you know, and again, could catchy song, single, you can sing along to it. Maybe Sammy Hagar would shy away from the keys if he had a better guitar player in his band. Hmm. Oh fuck, never mind. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's still a singable hooky chorus in spite of motherfucking Jesse Harms. <laughs> So this is the true ballad of the album, and I do like that the guitars are a little up front and louder, and the keyboards provide support with occasional melodic flourishes that don't intrude as much on the guitars as we're used to on this record. Sammy's melodies are okay, especially in the choruses, and he gives a good vocal performance. The lyrics are about Sammy's woman being fed up and upset. She wants him to marry her, and he better not make her wait too long, a sort of passive-aggressive ultimatum. There's nothing wrong with this track, really. I don't hate it. It's okay. It just doesn't knock my socks off. It's just kind of there. Mm -hmm. And that brings us to the final track, Burning Down the City, written by Sammy Hagar. Curtis, what do you think? Okay, you ready for this? Uh, I'm going to do <laughs> my impression of Ian Wadley from the now defunct Rock and Metal Combat podcast. Here we go. <laughs> I hate this fucking song. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. You pop pop the top and everything. <laughs> yeah, I don't really I don't really hate it, but. Uh, you know, I read somewhere that this song is inspired by the street artists of New York City. I think it was on Wikipedia. But to me, it's five minutes and 32 seconds of what's the point. It's just filler. It just seems to me like it goes on forever. And I, um, the chanting before the chorus each time, I don't get it. I, I just don't. 
the, the guitar solo is actually very raw and gritty, but it doesn't make up for the rest of the song, in my opinion. For me, this song is kind of like the final track on uh, Van, the Van Hagar 5150 album called Inside. They just needed another song to fill out the album, and so they just included this. And um, so it goes without saying that uh, this is my least favorite song on the album. So it's definitely Kurt's useless, nauseating track. (laughs) 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 See what I did there? I did. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) Rocket Mike, what do you say? Uh, Curtis and I are on the same page. The keys are finally turned down. Sammy actually says, fuck. And it's the worst song on the album. <laughs> um, matter of fact, it was it was it was funny. I was giving the album another listen today, and I've got headphones in. And I've got my phone sitting on the edge of my recliner. And I'm doing some other stuff, and I'm listening to it. Out of nowhere, during this song, I didn't touch my phone. Nobody touched my phone. The screen brightens up, and the volume turns down, and the video got paused. I didn't touch the phone. My phone hated this fucking song. <laughs> um, <laughs> So either that or the ghost in my house hates the song, one mm-hmm. of the two. So this is Mike's unimpressed fluffy fuckery. <laughs> so we end things on this slow, lumbering hippopotamus of a song <laughs> in which there seems to be a decided lack of energy. Even the chorus goes, burning down the city. <laughs> The guitar riffs are a snooze fest, too, and the keyboards warble along and pop up with these out-of-place stabs that would have worked like gangbusters on the Miami Vice soundtrack. Sammy shouts out, pick it up, pick it up, in the breakdown section. Except the music doesn't pick up. It stays at its sleepwalking pace, unless you count Ted Champagne Templeman working those congas, like my grandmother after she took four Valium. (laughs) I read that these lyrics were inspired by the street artists of New York City, like we were saying, rock, rockin', ball, break, art, for, art, sake, yeah, break, rockin', ball, <laughs> rap, gettin', up is where it's at. Yeah, Sammy sounds real excited about these artists. I hope he never played this track for them, because nobody's breakdancing to this sluggish shit. My ass, Sammy can't drive 55. <laughs> <laughs> Now the track by track is finished, we'll give our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which belongs in the dirt with Dick. Curtis, what are your final thoughts on VOA? Well, I'm going to I'm going to give it a 3 and a half out of 5. Uh Sammy is really becoming mainstream with this album and he's really finding his voice. As I said, I I like every song on the album except for the last two tracks. I mean, although I've I've had criticisms about several several of them. But the album holds a special place in my heart because I was able to see a show from the tour supporting this record. And this was my first real introduction to Sammy. And seeing that I Can't Drive 55 video in the summer of 84 was was really where it all started. And uh, one more thing I'm going to say about Sammy – as, as much as I've been critical of, of parts of this album, Sammy is, is just seems like a, a great guy and he's, he's really all about the fans. And, um, he, his current project is, uh, of course the circle with Vic Johnson, uh, Michael Anthony, the bassist from Van Halen and, uh, Jason Bonham, uh, John Bonham's son. 
And uh, they were at this uh, event that I'm involved with every year called 80s in the Sand down in Punta Cana this last November. And it was ironically almost 35 years to the day that I saw Sammy for the first time back in 84. Wow. And uh, just maybe like 10 days shy of that. And uh, I was on the front row for this show. I was about 15 feet from Michael Anthony, and people were throwing all kinds of stuff uh, on the stage. And Sammy was signing T-shirts, jackets, brassieres, <laughs> uh, speed limit signs, etc. And uh, I was kicking myself because I didn't bring anything for him to sign. Uh, however, I did have a, a tumbler with me, uh, you know, a, a metal tumbler that I was drinking beer out of. And uh, when Sammy came to my side, I didn't know what to do, so I just I just held the tumbler up to him. And much to my surprise, he took it. I thought, oh, great, he's going to sign it. So he he had this gray Sharpie, and he started signing it. And then I thought he was going to hand it back to me, but then he went over to Jason Bonham's drum riser, sat down, and uh, he had a little bar set up over there. And he put ice, some of his Sammy's Beast Bar Rum and Coca-Cola into my tumbler, and then he came back and gave it to me and blew me a kiss. And I just thought that was... <laughs> I just thought that was so classy. That is you know? cool. I, that uh, is cool. That's story. a great story. And and the fact that it happened almost almost exactly thirty five years later was just like it just seemed like that was full circle for me with Sammy. You know, I mean, it's just it was great. It was awesome. Yeah, that's really cool, mm-hmm. Mike. So I've only seen Sammy once, and I saw him with Van Halen uh, on the OU eight one two tour um, in Hartford, Connecticut. Got my shirt. There was a misprint, by the way. Said it was Hartford, New York. Um, but he put on a great show. They did I Can't Drive 55. And I've never made any bones about the fact that I always preferred Hagar to Roth. Um, it's just kind of where I came into Van Halen. Um, I know. We've, we've had many discussions about it. Um, now, this album as a whole, it's not a bad album, but the keys just kill it for me. Sammy sounds great. All the songs are catchy. They get you singing. Um, if the album was remixed and the keys were pushed down, I might like it better. I'm going to give it a three, but in all seriousness, I have to completely reevaluate my opinion of David Lee Roth because this may have killed Sammy for me. (laughs) I I, I can tell you right now, when this was over today, I was like, you know what? Aaron and I have talked about Skyscraper. I went right into Skyscraper, and I can tell you Knuckle Bones is better than anything on this damn album. (laughs) (laughs) I am very conflicted when it comes to Sammy Hagar. The man has talent. I like a lot of his music as a solo artist, some of his Van Halen work, and I love the first Montrose album. He's a good hard rock singer and a capable songwriter. By the time of VOA, he had been a recording artist for over a decade, and he was in the midst of finding commercial success with his previous two solo albums, Standing Hampton and Three Lock Box, albums I actually kind of like. The pop rock or pop metal genre that was blowing up at the time suited his talents well, and I see this record almost as an audition for the Van Halen brothers, who plucked Sammy after this to front Van Halen after the departure of Dave Lee Roth. It wasn't actually an audition, but Sammy showed he had the pipes, and his sound was right in line with the unfortunate direction Van Halen was headed, in my opinion. Here's the thing. For all of Sammy's talent, as a songwriter, I find that he can be annoyingly lazy especially with his lyrics. And for every winner he pens, he has a total throwaway he could barely be bothered to mail in. I also dislike his sense of humor most of the time. He comes across to me as your obnoxious drunk uncle who thinks he's funny, but he's really not. And his jokes fall flat as a pancake, not pound cake, I should say. 
And I wish he would have remained the Red Rocker as opposed to this disheveled beach bum he portrays to this day. But what do I know? Sammy Hagar could give a flying fuck about what Aaron Martell thinks of him. He's been a success in everything he's tried, including becoming a restaurateur, nightclub owner, and a tequila and rum mogul so he can laugh his portly ass all the way to the bank. But back to this album. I like a few tracks, dislike a couple, and a few are just meh to me. It's funny. On the Stone Temple Pilots Purple episode, I commented that it was better than I remembered. I hadn't heard it in a while. This record was the exact opposite. It wasn't as good as I thought. But it's certainly not the worst album I've ever heard. To my ears, it had potential that was missed. I give VOA a two and a half. And the story of Sammy Hagar certainly got more interesting and complicated after this point. But what can I say? The man's done all right for himself. Now we'd like to thank Curtis Longclo for returning to the podcast and putting up with us. It was fun, man. Well, thank you so much. And I just want to encourage everybody to visit my blog at uh, retrozest.com if you if you have a chance. And I'm also on Facebook at RetroZest. That's R-E-T-R-O-Z-E-S-T. Excellent. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, we'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast, including the Album Addicts branch of the show. You can also recommend the show on Facebook if you prefer to do it that way. And yes, we'll read your Facebook recommendation on the podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with us? Let us know and we'll set it up. We're always looking for co-pilots to host the show with us. And we would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for Albumatics, I'm Aaron. And I'm Mike. See ya. He said dick in the dirt. Oh, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> Are we ready? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> but it didn't hurt. <laughs> it was just the way it hurt. <laughs> <laughs> she tied him up, and then she gave him a blowjob. Like, what the hell? <laughs> Have you ever had a well-traveled redneck? <laughs> He's your redneck friend, and then he's talking about how he's well-traveled. Yeah. Well, you know, rednecks on the road. <laughs> yeah.